This is Seeds for Success, a show where we have a good yarn about ag life with producers who are having a go. On the show, you'll hear from farmers in New South Wales who are out there battling the elements, making tough calls and getting the job done. You'll get a laugh out of some of their stories and also pick up some know-how along the way. I'm your host, Narrowly Brennan. Today, we're catching up with Andrea Fletcher, or Andy, as she's known to the locals. Andy is a Senior Biosecurity Weeds Officer with Castle Ray Macquarie County Council, based out of Coonabarabran. Andy is passionate about weed control, and no matter how big the weed problem, she'll have a go at getting on top of it. In this episode, you'll hear how Andy has had great success with weeds that everyone thought couldn't be beaten combining chemical options, biocontrol agents, and most importantly, community buy-in. You'll also hear how Andy's developed her own beetle nursery to help bolster the biocontrol opportunities within her region, and how her hard work and ongoing tenacity has seen her recognised with a state award for her contribution to the management and control of Hudson Pear in northwest New South Wales. She also talks about her latest focus on blue heliotrope control and how her integrated approach and adoption of biocontrol methods have been a key shift in the success of her control strategies. Local Land Services Mixed Farming Officer Callan Thompson sat down with Andy away from her beetle nursery. Apparently the smell of beetle poo was just a little too overwhelming. So Andy, can you tell me what Castlereagh and Macquarie County Council does? Yep, so Castlereagh and Macquarie County Council, we have five shires, which is the Warren Bungle Shire, Canamble Shire, Gilgandra Shire, Warren Shire and Walgett. So we're the local control authorities for those shires and we do all inspections on rail, roadside, all land, LLS lands, and we also spray roadsides. So other councils may have staff that are weeds officers that do the same Job as you? Yeah, within their shire, yep. Yep. So many of our listeners would have seen utes with spray tanks on the side of the road, but that's not all you do. Can you run me through what a weedo's day may look like? Like it is inspections, but we do do a lot of community work as well and lots of phone calls and give lots of advice as well. So it is a really mixed bag. Like it's not just the old day, it's like the weedos on the side of the road spraying. There's so much more and we put as much effort into working with landowners and community as what we do trying to reduce the weed. So great big mixed bag. So people would probably see you at local shows and things like that with the weeds trailer. Yeah, we try to do that. I think that's really good. We've like, as you know, we've got these big shires and I just, I just find at the shows, people are a bit more relaxed and they're sort of wandering around. And if there's one of me or, or, you know, I've got another member with me, they can all come to us. So it's a really good opportunity. And, you know, we always welcome if, if people have got something different growing, you know, on their farm or they've seen something different anywhere, they can bag it up and bring that into us as well. So it's a good opportunity all round. Yeah. So Andy, what led you into this job? Wow, I think I was just fortunate. Yeah, like I was on farming, I've always been in outdoory, so all of my work is sort of focused around like, you know, weeds and things like that. Yeah, I just think I was just very fortunate to have this position now after the last position I was doing with the contract. 
and yeah, just haven't looked back. I think it's kind of hard to put it into words when it's not just a job, like you're doing what you love. So I'm very fortunate. Yeah. So I, one of the questions I had here for you is this could be just a job, but you live and breathe it. Why do you think that is? It's it's just making a difference. And I don't know if it's, it's it could be a bit of obsession too. I really can't answer it because it's just the way I am with weeds. And I just see how much you can make a difference. And and even if there's, you know, a certain weed that's just been, you know, let go and people just think, oh, where do we start? Like there is a start. Like there's just so many options out there and more so now environment now with, you know, there's even biocontrol for so many things. So, yeah, just the options and just, just making a difference. And I remember as a kid even starting with the old catheads and, you know, your rubber thongs and we were taught to scrape them off and, and the difference in that over years is like you're reducing that seed bank and, it just makes a difference. And, you know, I've been to other areas getting rid of weeds and, and I go back and check it after and there's like fresh little currajongs coming through or natural grasses and it's like they didn't have a chance before because weeds were wiping them out. So, yeah, it, it's another, I guess, mixed bag of, of all, all happiness controlling weeds. So in 2019 you received the New South Wales Borkner Local Government Weed Professional Award by an prize awarded to recognise an outstanding contribution to on-ground control of weeds in New South Wales. And I think that's through the Weed Society of New South Wales. So one of the reasons that you were nominated was the great work you're doing fighting Hudson Pear around Lightning Ridge. Can you tell me a bit about that project? That's a real passion. I think will never leave me. And I think working with Hudson Pear seeing how much it had spread and it's another scenario of, you know, it's it's 20 years gone, it's it's too late. And I was really fortunate to meet Dr. Andrew McConaughey who introduced me more into the bio. My career before that was all to do with spray and chemical. So that's where I first was really introduced into biocontrol as well. So that was a whole new project and it was such a success that going back in the field and seeing these areas and especially areas where it was just impossible to get with you know your spray tank or a gator with spray and things like that and the biocontrol out there has just done wonders a lot of effort went into workshops and you know with the community and things like that explaining what it is and how it works and things like that and and just exciting to go back and you know we do photos and it's another scenario of, of what I was saying like the biocontrol and then we it's it's eaten out the plant and we've got all these grasses that were never there you know and it's either never there because the Hudson pears taken over or never there because it's sprayed with chemical I could talk about it you know for years and years and I'll still skip when I talk about it <laughs> so you know the whole making of it like the facility that we put up, watching a lot of the landowners and community that was sort of, no, unsure to start with, but, you know, you sort of had to push on and, you know, a couple of years later and people are seeing the results and, and you know, it's just such a difference. And that's sort of say, like, things like that won't happen overnight, but you've just got to stick to it, you know, whether it's with chemical or biocontrol. I think the follow-up is really important as well. So I do get a lot that come to me and go, oh, they've They've sprayed such and such and, and then they're disheartened because then they haven't gone back for follow-up. So I, th- I guess that's where I like to spend time with landowners and community to talk through things like that. Yeah, so it's another thing that doesn't end for me, I guess. <laughs> so with the biocontrol agent, what is it exactly? 
Yep. So the bio control on the Hudson Pier, it will only go under the either the Hudson Pier or Jumping Chola. Jumping Chola is a, another form of cactus. So our biggest infestations of those are out Lightning Ridge area within the Walgut Shire and Grawan. It, it's just I, I think we've been very fortunate in this biocontrol as well because it's pretty much as Hudson Pear, like it's it's an all year around thing, like it's it's not seasonal. So I think that's where it was much easier and we were fortunate enough once we find the found the right agent to bring to Australia that it adapted really well. Like we're not going through you know, frosts or it flowers one year and doesn't flower the other. I guess in saying that too, that's why um, Hudson Pear is so nasty because it doesn't need rain, but it'll grow in rain. It doesn't need soil. It's just, I, I think, probably one of the worst weeds I've come across, like in my career with weeds. So yeah, it's just done really well. And just the size of what the biocontrol is getting onto as well, like the size of a bottle cap, the biocontrol is getting onto those size plants or segments, should I say, that otherwise like a, you know, spraying and a weed operator would quite easily miss. So, yeah, it's just got so many success stories that it's just really good. And so did you collect the biocontrol agents and then put them in nurseries and spread them out that way or how did yeah, you so get them we, out? Yeah, so we kind of started off and this goes back to Andrew McConaughey who is always I think will be my hero <laughs> and really good to work with and, and really passionate as well. He was breeding them at the DPI lab in Orange and so the only way to get the, the biocontrol was sort of relying on him to bring them down every couple of months and um, so then we'd sort of, you know, set them up there and then we sort of started, we had this frame of an old greenhouse at one of our depot sites and we sort of thought, what if we try and set up something ourselves and, and get it breeding here? Like we just needed numbers to get out there. there there's just so much for them to eat. And, and that went really well. And no disrespect to Andrews, but I felt Lightning Ridge and the heat, once we released those out into the field, they were adapting much better. They, I, and the big thing is was the climate. And it was such a success that we went on to building this big facility and, yeah, we can just really mass rare and that's where I think that's where we noticed a lot in the field as well. So when when receiving this biocontrol from Orange, it's, you know, it's, it's very sparse and you can only bring so much at once. So when we're releasing the field, you know, it would be a few segments on on each plant because they were so valuable and they still are, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but when, when we started mass releasing, it was like, okay, we, we can put a whole tub on one plant. And I think that was the critical change where it was like they adapted better and it, it just went from there. So from that part, and I think with all bio, my belief is getting the, the mass happening. Yeah, I guess it would be pretty pretty tough move from orange to lightning ridge at certain times of the year yeah like it was always healthy and they were doing well there I just you know and there was there was a lot of play with things and there was no actual book on it I guess it was just us in passion and really taking note of what's happening in the field and yeah it just purely come down to you know it was all healthy stock and I just think it come down to that that huge big climate gap between orange and lightning ridge yeah so they're just little things as well that, you know, you sort of work on and talk about and work together and you just make things better as you go. And sometimes with whatever you're touching, it could fail. So you're like, oh, okay, that didn't work. How can we do this better? And it, it took a little bit to get the community on board 
how did you get them all over the line and I think it was just a lot of patience. Years ago, there was a biocontrol put out there and it was released on the rope pair in the 1960s. So when it didn't have rope pair, it would adapt and go onto the Hudson pair, but it was just trying to survive. It was the wrong strain for the Hudson pair, so therefore it wasn't doing any damage. So all of a sudden we've, you know, the labs and the scientists have gone through and it's like, okay, this is the strain. This is the one that, that makes the damage. For the naked eye, for anyone to look at, it looks exactly the same as the one that wasn't doing any damage. So that that was really hard to get across. And, and another challenge with that, you know, all this talk about, oh, this, this great bio and trying to get that into community so they weren't spreading the rope pair bio. We, we really wanted that to stop. Yep. So we knew what strain was what and what was really doing the damage, especially in the earlier times. Like it, it was really crucial to keep them separated. So it, it was just a long, a long time. And we'd just do workshops and talks and put numbers out, the shows, any festival, brochures. Yeah, and, and we'd run all separate workshops. So, you know, if it meant, you know, we're in Lightning Ridge focusing on this and a group from Kambora couldn't make it, We'll go to Grawan and, and that's just what we put in. And, yeah, some people go, well, that's time-consuming. You should be in the field. But that's what makes the package and that's what makes it successful because we can't do it on our own. So that's why it's really important to always include landowners and community because we've, we've all got to be together and, yeah. and work together. And, and if we do that, that's when we're going to see a difference. Yeah. You and I have often spoken about uh, biocontrol is not always the silver bullet. How did you get producers to still look at integrated control measures? Yeah, that, that kind of went off better than expected, to be honest. So when we started and, you know, people started talking about it and then, you know, more got interested when they started to sort of see and hear a bit more of a difference. So, you know, you'd start getting calls, oh, we want to get some of that biocontrol. And then, you know, you sort of, where's the property and different things like that. And obviously it's all confidential. But the best way to get that was because, as you said, it's not a silver bullet. So our main aim was to still really concentrate on your boundaries, all around your boundaries, do a buffer zone. And if, if it was sort of like a bargaining chip, if I'm allowed to say that, yep. but it's kind of like we really needed to do your boundaries. So that's If you spray. do that. Yeah, spraying. Yep. So boundaries, spray your fence lines, you know, anything along the road, around your dams and anywhere where it's going to wash. And then we'll provide the biocontrol. And biocontrol is free, so don't let anyone ever think that they're going to charge you for it. So it was kind of a, a win-win. Like they're meeting their biosecurity duty by, by doing their boundaries and then we're providing the biocontrol for the core infestations. And it just went from there. And then you, you only need to do that with a couple of property owners and they see success and they talk because a lot of these property owners have been around for many, many years and the property next to them is probably going to listen to that property owner more than what they would me to start <laughs> with. So, you know, it just works that way. Yeah. So you and I have been uh, working with Blue Heliotrope and I reckon one of the issues that we have with blue heliotrope is that producers always uh waiting on the biological control and and often they'll use that as an excuse to to not warrant spraying i think it's probably one of my least favorite weeds and, and it is becoming an increasing issue in new south wales so the new south wales and dpi have done a lot of work on getting a biocontrol agent into australia and in recent times you and i have been doing a lot with the blue heliotrope leaf beetle 
you've got some nurseries in the Warren Bungle Shire. How are they going? Going really well. So they were set up in November last year. I've just got them based on three separate private properties, all within the Warren Bungle Shire, but in, in different areas. And the reason for that to just sort of see, you know, different soils and things like that as well. So that went really well. I checked them a few weeks after release and they were still alive and all in different stages and doing well. Went back and checked them just this week and a little bit nervous because weather had really warmed up and the Christmas break for everyone. Really, really impressed. They were alive. So really happy with all of that. But in saying that, I think it's still a really long way to go with these beetles. Yeah, like it's not a downer on anyone because some people hear, oh, the beetles here and and you're right, they sort of all stop everything and, and sit and wait on this beetle. I'm not saying whether it's going to be a success or not. I think even if it is, it's going to be very, very slow. You know, people should just keep doing what they've been doing on their properties. Like, yeah, don't stop because that's happening. And when I spoke about the Hudson Pear earlier and, and the success rate, it's just a reminder again back onto what, what weed you're doing and back onto what strain. And there's so much more involved. And probably with, with trying biocontrol and the heliotrope, especially in the Warren Bungle Shire, I'd heard so much about the beetle like before I'd, I'd come here and then I'd heard so many stories too on why it didn't work but I could never find any data on it. So, you know, there was a few things, there's drought and there's fire and there's, there's all sorts of things and it was really interesting to hear everything from each different person but I still couldn't find any data. So it was like my regional coordinator for Central West ended up finding a property where we could go and source some again and that was exciting. So I virtually started from scratch and took a lot of knowledge that I learnt from doing biocontrol with the Hudson Pear, really recorded everything. And at this stage, like I said, I don't know how it was going to go. All I knew is I could put in 100%, record everything down to, you know, coordinates where you've released and roughly how, how many beetles you've released, what the weather was doing, and then that follow-up when you re-inspect to see how they're going and what happened in that two weeks. Was it heat? What was the temperature? So I record all of that as well. So at the end of the day, if if these beetles do fail again in the Warren Bungle Shire, at least I've, I've got data and I know I've given it 100%. And But as I said, it will be slow, but it's still something we've got to try. I think for those people who haven't seen one, the beetle itself is a pretty stunning beetle. It's like a really dark navy blue or black with an orange, orange stripes on it. And one of the reasons I'd heard that it didn't work was that the crows would eat it. But we stored them in the boardroom that we're sitting in doing this interview at the moment at the Cooner office. Yeah, the smell that was coming out of this boardroom from them, I'd be very surprised if anything wants to eat them. But. You're so right with that. You're so right. And, yeah, you actually reminded me of, of that was another thing that I heard with the fail of it was from birds. And, and then once again I scratched my head on that one because the property I went to, when we were collecting, I just noticed all these different birds just getting around, you know, freely and it hadn't seemed to have affected them. So, uh, yeah, it's probably another thing, different climate and soils and, and all sorts above. Like it's, it's, it's never just black and white, I, I believe, in our field. But so far, yeah, the little critters are doing really well. Yeah, we'll just keep monitoring the areas. Yep. And so we've spoken about that it's not going to eradicate the blue heliotrope and and they may or may not persist in some environments in our region, what other methods should producers look at for controlling blue heliotrope? 
I, th- I think it's something that we've just got to get stronger to work together. Like, I, I and it, it's a really hard thing to, to tackle. Like, I'm only in this with Warren Bungle and Blue Heliotrope a couple of years. So I know there's landowners out there that have been struggling with Blue Heliotrope for the last 20 years. The thing I can't answer was what went on there. All I can answer is where I sit now and, and how can we make it better? Like, it's invaded just about everywhere where you look. It's Blue Heliotrope. But, and I shouldn't keep going back to Hudson Pear, but I saw the same thing with that and it's it's very, very nasty. And I just think, well, well, all right, let's let's make a start somewhere. But it's really important to work together. Like you just can't have one landowner really trying to do something and then the other one on the other side of the fence not doing anything. And, you know, and I think that's where the biosecurity's come in really good as well. And, you know, it's not a pick on anyone, but it's just so important that, that everyone follows their biosecurity duty. And that doesn't matter, you know, if they've got stock or they're farming or, and it doesn't matter what part of land it is. We've, we've got to work together. What is a landholder's responsibility when it comes to weeds? All weeds have got a general biosecurity duty. It just depends on on what weed and its potential and, you know, whether it's toxic and how much it spreads. So back to the old thing on it, it's never black and white. As I said, it doesn't matter if, you know, you're in a residential farming land or absentee and just got your, your hobby block. Regardless of what the land is, you've got the general biosecurity duty to do something with your weeds. So that's where it comes back to, you know, go back on the circle again with, you know, wanting to spend time and and talk to landowners and property owners. Some people just mightn't realise that a certain thing is a weed. So, and that's where we go into like explaining and giving information and things like that. So sometimes it's quite an innocent thing where this certain weed flowers and all that flower is beautiful. So yeah, it's back to a lot of education and awareness and then back to the old key on working together. A good example, that's the blue heliotrope. I've I've got a uh, photo that I use in one of my presentations on blue heliotrope of a TripAdvisor photo of blue heliotrope in the National Park. And I think the comments are like, uh, uh, it's wonderful the wildflowers are coming back after the recent bushfires. So it's, yeah. it's really about yeah. education, isn't it? It really is. Yep. Yep. It really is. We've got the Newell Highway running through the Central West and there's lots of trucks and machinery and ag machinery travelling through the, from Queensland or Victoria. What weeds should we be looking out for, do you reckon? The main one that we've been um, really looking out for is Parthenium weed. It already is in New South Wales and we're finding it along our roadsides and us as the weed professionals, we kind of work together and communicate as well for the other shires. So if, if our adjoining shire have found it their roadside, they're really good with communicating so we can all band together and, and be on the lookout for it. So th- the fact that we're finding so much on roadsides is the alarm that, well, it's it's come through on trucks and where did the truck go to? So once again, it's back to, you know, we rely on landowners and community too to look out and, and give us a call. And my biggest thing to put out to people is just give me a ring if they see something different. If they don't know what ID it is or anything, it doesn't matter. Like if, if they can just pick up the phone and we can go and ID it and rule it out. I think there's still a lot out there that, you know, either reluctant to ring because they're like, oh, they'll be in trouble or, you know, all sorts of things like that and they get nervous and that's something that I still 
stress out so much that we're here to help and work together. Like the sooner that, that you ring and if it is parthenium and you've just got a few plants, the sooner we can get on, identify it and get something done, the better it is and the easier it is. So, yeah, just I think the best key, and if you're not a real weed person and eye out for weed, I kind of go, well, look for something different. Like you just get used to what you see all of the time and all of a sudden, oh, that's a different colour flower or that's a different leaf and, yeah, just just ring. Another thing, it's all like free of charge for us to come and do an inspection and that's we're there for like the landowners and community and it gets back to that, let's work together. So when people are looking to ID weeds, obviously if it's something that they've never seen before, they should give you guys a, a call. But what tools do you use for IDing weeds? So if producers are in the paddock, they, they might want to check something out quickly. Yeah. So, yes, some of them, because we're not not an encyclopedia as well, <laughs> there's all sorts <laughs> out there. So, you know, you've you've got like your weed wise, but obviously weed wise is excellent. And I, ref- I try and refer everyone to that, but obviously that can be a little bit hard if you've got no idea what to start with, if you've got no idea in this weed. So there is a, a plant app that's, that's really, really good. So that's one that you take a photo and then it'll ID it. Sometimes it's quite new as well, but it has been really good. But sometimes you've just got to do a little bit of research again on your own because it it might be a weed that hasn't identified before, so it'll do something close. So it can be a bit tricky. And then like sometimes if it's a weed that your alarm bells are ringing a bit and you've just identified it yourself, there's other sources that you can go out and just get that second opinion. I know me from a council, like I feel quite comfortable that I can go to local land services and other areas like that that have got other good professionals that can give you that advice. Like you, you if you're providing this information to a landowner, you, you want to make sure that you're 110% correct. Yeah. In saying that, there was another app, sorry, that just come to mind, which is called PlantNet, and it's really useful as well. So... Yeah, all those options, but some people still, you know, aren't into apps and things like that and that's where you can pick up the phone and we can come and do the ID and get back to them and go from there. And sometimes it might be, you know, a native or something like that, but at least you know. That's the thing, at least you know. Yeah, I think most of the weeds I get put on my desk end up being native plants yep. and that's a great thing. It's it's great that uh, people are bringing things in yeah. to identify. Yeah, yep. My plants of Western New South Wales is uh, pretty well worn. It's a it's a great resource that I often lean heavily upon. And you still get really stuck. Like I had a call, a landowner thought he had Parthenium weed. And so he sent a photo and the flower looks very, very similar to Parthenium. It was only when I enlarged the photo that he sent me and the leaf was a, a total giveaway that it wasn't Parthenium. So I was able to ring this. This is over the Christmas break and I was, ap- I was able to ring the landowner to say, no, it's not Parthenium. I don't know what it is. I had no idea. So we're learning all the time as well. The thing that annoyed me and made me more into it, I didn't know I couldn't find it. So Weedwise wouldn't help me. All of my books <laughs> wouldn't help me. Yeah, I was, I was doing the plant net. I, I had just tried every avenue I could. And so it was a call to DPI in Armadale. So, cause at that time, most people were on Christmas leave as well. I was just lucky that one of the ones that I work with quite well there was available and they were actually stumped to start with as well. So they've started their investigation on their end. 
So we finally got to the end of it and it was sticky Florentina, which still did come from Queensland on sheep. So, you know, that was another new thing for me as well, another learning thing. And it's like, well, if I went through this much trouble to identify it with all my resources, I want to get this out to other landowners and let them know what this thing is and where it is and and then put those channels out to, to all other councils for the weed offices as well. Yeah, I just think things like that, if it, if it was that hard for you, it's other people are going to face that too, so share it. So we're, I guess we're always under threat of a, a new weed entering our region. What keeps you up at night? Worrying about that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> which, which weed do you reckon? All weeds are important to me. I think the ones that get to me more like recently, you know, since early November, you know, I've really been chasing St John's wort. So, you know, that's all I talk about and then it keeps me up at night because I'm like, oh, I didn't finish this road and different things like that. But when I'm focused on St John's wort, it doesn't mean all the other weeds aren't as important. I sort of take that on because of that small window frame from it flowering to going to seed. So, yeah, you've sort of got to learn to prioritise and, and put some blinkers on. It's like, all right, I know these other weeds are here, but I've got this short little window to get across this whole big shire of Warren Bungle. Yep. Yep. Yeah, all different weeds can keep me up at night. But, it's <laughs> a, but yeah, they're all just as important and, and obviously they're called a weed because they spread and grow quite well. They can all keep me up at night. It just, I just, yeah, go on to that. What type of weed, what, what the time of year is and what really needs to be focused on the spray before it's going to make another seed bank for our next season. So timing's everything. Oh, sure yeah, is, the- yeah. Drought's been a big risk for us with weeds coming in and especially on hay and grain. We mentioned before weeds coming in with livestock. That's going to be a bigger issue for us, isn't it, as that, that's people huge. restock? You know, whether it's it's livestock or it's feed fodder. You know, if you're bringing feed and fodder and you're feeding your stock, keep them in one paddock. Getting back to this new infestation of the sticky Florentina, that property owner was was really on the ball with it. Like he's brought these weathers in from Queensland. He's held them in this five-hectare paddock after we got some rain that's when his alarm bells rang and he'd seen how we've been uh, you know advocating about the parthenium getting around so he's jumped straight onto it he thought never seen this before it's only in the paddock where I've got weathers clock starts ticking away and um he was really really good with that he's jumped on it straight away got in contact with his local control authority as it was it, it still was a new one that's come in but I think the fact that you know he he was really kept them separate, could really narrow it down to to where it was. And even this weed in particular, in that short time, from the five hectares, it's grown to 10. So that's just how some of these weeds can, can really, you know, take hold and get away. Just being really, really careful, really take note of where you've got your, your stock or your feed or your fodder. And, and sometimes it can be quite an innocent thing where your neighbour down the road might have had excess hay and we don't want that anymore. Hey, mate, do you want to have some hay? Yeah, no worries. And it like, that's your neighbour, you know, he's just down the road. It's quite a natural thing that that you don't even ask where did it come from and and sometimes in a desperate time when we were going through the droughts, if someone's offering you hay or feed, you're not going to ask. You're like, oh, thank God. You know, I, I can feed these sheep again for today. So, you know, it can all be quite innocent. On the other side, things can fall down too. 
And even if it does fall down, like no one was to blame in that, but it's just good to have a bit of an idea where things come from and, you know, those sort of scenarios. Take notice of where you've fed things and your stock and things like that. So, yeah. yeah. So sort of by keeping an eye on where feed or stock go and then, yeah, making sure you follow up and checking those areas and like yeah, you keep that's saying, right. if, if yep. you see something new. And people get complacent. Like you get busy and, you know, you, you're desperate for food and all sorts of scenarios. You're chasing water and all sorts of things. So it can get complacent but I think it's not until you are hit with a nasty weed and then you, all of a sudden you've got this other big problem on your shoulders. That's one of the most important keys. You might do well and never get one but if you do and it, and it is a bad one, well, it, it just narrows things down for you. Yeah, I have been to um, some properties that, have had parthenium and, and it's just wonderful working with them. They're, they know exactly where they've fed this fodder out and and it just helps tracking down where it is. Of course, you'd still check the whole property, but it, it just sort of helps getting on top of it when you do have an outbreak. Do you have any tips outside of drought just for normal day-to-day for farmers on how they could control or I guess how they could stop weeds from moving onto their property? Yeah, I think that's all all comes down to hygiene, you know, and that's another thing you get complacent with, I guess. So it could be any weed at all. So I, I guess it comes down to your own uh, homework on your farm and, and your hygiene. The biosecurity signs on the gates have been very popular now and they've got the contact number. So as a landowner, don't feel bad if you're you're asking someone to brush down at the gate or something like that, or you might just have one paddock, you know, just inside your gate. That's where you want it to wash down or brush down or you want to check it. Don't feel bad for that. You're just being responsible for your farm. That's all it comes down to. And, you know, that's that's just something that is getting used more now, which is a good positive thing. So I think them signs are making a really good difference as well and making people aware. Reading that sign, they're stopping to think. Oh, biosecurity. Oh, and so it's just opening up a little bit more as well. Yeah, that clean on, clean off. Yeah, exactly. Sort of thing has yep. been really important. Yeah. And like there's so many weeds out there that that just stick in places you wouldn't believe. Like it, and some weeds might be dormant there for the next three, five, ten years and then all of a sudden, bang, and it could have just come in on next door's tractor that they were calling in to do a favour or it can be the most innocent, simplest things. Yeah, just think all the time. So, Andy, are there any innovations or new technologies in weed control that you're excited about? Yeah, so there there is a new tool out for stem injection. So I guess it depends on, one, once again, what weed you're talking about and what you want to target on. But the stem injection is really exciting. You know, when it comes down to if, you, if you're doing sort of trees and shrubs and things like that, the stem injection, it's going straight into that target plant so you know you're not worrying about you know chemical and drift and getting the non-target plant so that's really exciting other exciting things in the background of things is is they're they're working on more chemicals so the new south wales chemical booklet is is really useful and it's like a bible and i hand it to as many people as i can and always stress stick to the label as well in saying that so they're they're working on other chemicals for different weeds that you know sometimes yeah we've been using such and such on this weed for so long and we're starting to find it's not not having a difference so they're doing a lot of trials in the background with that so I always welcome that and always welcome to trial something new that's come out so yeah they're all really exciting things that are coming on. So Andy I guess you get a lot of questions on different weed control products and and how to control different weeds. 
what's your one bit of advice for for using chemicals if you're applying weeds? Stick to the label and do some homework on what weed it is and what's available. And that's where it comes back to the New South Wales Chemical Control Handbook. So much has gone into them. So and that's why they're out there. So follow the book, follow the rates as well. Like lots of people seem to think, oh well, you know, if it says 500 mil to 100 litres, I'm going to put 700 and it'll work better. It actually doesn't. Sometimes what you're doing is burning the plant from the outside and you think, oh, butte, that worked faster and it's dead. It'll probably come back with vengeance. So really stick to the label, do your homework on what chemical you're doing. And a lot still do it and, you know, and sometimes it's habit or it's like that's what grandpa used and things like that. So they'll mix some chemical with another chemical and, yeah, like I'm not saying that, that it, doesn't work but sometimes if you're fine you're doing that and going on the the exact same piece of ground doing that exact same weed over and over you've kind of got to get to a point where you sort of question you know is this working am am I doing more damage am I making it shoot more and you know all those sorts of things and once again it comes back to to what weed it is as well of course it, it does that but yeah just I probably repeat myself so much on on this because it's just so important to yeah stick to the label. Perfect. Thanks for your time today, Andy. I think we've all learned a lot on on weed control. Thank you for having me, Cal. I think I'm going to go for a bit of a drive out around home and uh, see if I've got anything new. I might follow you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders and the community across New South Wales. To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources, we've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Narrowly Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time.